the woman from Glee whose name is escaping me right now. Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch wanted to fuck Dr. Richard Kimball. I mean, she would have done anything for him. <laughs> she really would have, but I, I kind of love it how I finally watched. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David, and today I finally watched The Fugitive. And this is Alon, and I finally watched U.S. Marshals. That's right, folks, it's a double feature. First one we've done in quite a while. I think the last one we did was so nonsensical. We were like, we're never doing this again. It was John Carter and My Best Friend's Wedding. I thought we did another one, but I can't remember. We did, but um, I think it was it was Romancing the Stone and the sequel to Romancing the Jewel Stone. Denial. Jewel yeah, Denial. Jewel Denial. Yeah. That one at least made sense. And so does this one. Um, so, I, like, growing up, I was, like, 11 when this came out. And it's I just like... I forget you're so old. Yeah, yeah, no. It's like a DVD that I had bought and I watched over and over again. And I had... No idea that it was connected to the fugitive in any way. <laughs> and I, I love that because now I'm just thinking back when uh the FBI or the um the government guys hired him to to go get Wesley Snipes and they they're like, We know you have your reputation. He's like, you know how to do this quick and fast. And he's like, Oh, I've been there before. And then when they zoom in on him, he's like, Looks like we have a fugitive <laughs> and you're just sitting there at 11 years old being like oh this is great original stuff guys yeah good it's good stuff and so i really like this it's um it's funny so you know and i don't i know we don't like completely buy into this all the time but the meta score for the fugitive is an 87 i believe mm. and the meta score for us marshals is a 47 Ooh, that's a big drop. You know, I and I can I, understand I don't think it. Should, it. I, I don't think I don't think it should be that big. though, is my point. Well, I can understand why it's lower, but I agree with you. I don't. I don't think it's it's horrible. No, no, yeah. I mean, I still liked it. Even watching it this time, I was like, okay, I get it. Because so I was a little unsure if I had seen the fugitive. Um, because I've seen obviously so many parts of it. I saw. I've seen you know, the train and I've seen the, you know, I didn't kill my wife and I jumping. don't care. I knew you were re ready for it. Um, and I've seen like him in the hospital with Julian Moore. Um, for Julian Moore to be third build on this, uh, she has such a little part. Well, so the reason is it's kind of interesting. She was actually supposed to be a love interest and she filmed three or four more scenes where he like kind of comes back to her and she helps him and they build some chemistry and they just cut it out of the movie. But then they kept it as like, you know, gave her credit for it. <laughs> and so oh, she stayed yeah. as like third or fourth. Build. But if you look at like what she had done, it's really interesting is like, I didn't really recognize much from before this, but then this led to the lost world and then the same year as The Lost World, um, 
Boogie Nights comes out, and then like then it's like oh Julianne Moore, yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting that this was like would have been probably even more of a breakout role for her, but it kind of got cut down so much. And it's, it's also so, like so weird seeing her as such a big actress now, just so such in a nothing role. Yeah, and so well, so young too, because like I've never you know what I mean like oh yeah, I've never seen her so young. Yeah. Well, except I watched this at the time. I just, you know, I had no idea that who Julianne Moore was. Um, um well, okay, so let let's let's get into it because the fugitive, um, I think we've talked about this outside of the podcast before, but it can easily be some people's like favorite film, like one of their favorite films, right? And Harrison Ford did this like stint in the nineties where he was just in some like good shit. Like like outside of Star Wars, outside of Indiana Jones, and and before, um, I guess more of a more of like streamlined stuff. He was in these like um, these kind of films. I don't want to call them indies because they're not. But like Fugitive before U.S. Marshals was standalone. I know he was in Witness, which is one of my favorite films, which I'm trying to like get you to watch. Um, but they're just like the nineties for Harrison Ford were just really good movies. Have you seen air force one? I, I must. Yes. Yes, I have. Oh, I used to be get sure. air. I know I, I am. I used to get air force one and the fugitive mixed up, not because of anything other <laughs> same, than the fact that both of them same, have Harrison same, Ford. No, it's nothing. It's not, it's job. not, it's not the same, but it's just, just for the fact that the fact that Harrison Ford's in both. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, what, what, uh, really quick, I just want to do like a couple overarching thoughts of like the two movies combined before we just start getting into it. But one thing that is interesting about this is like the movies honestly just feel like elongated, like procedural dramas, like Law and Orders, right? Yeah. Like actually really like episodes of Justified. Um, <laughs> and um, it's interesting to see these like, it be, when you watch both of the movies together, and it, especially if you like both of the movies, it be kind of, it kind of becomes episodic. Um, but it's interesting seeing that way. The the only other th- it kind of reminds me of like, and obviously this isn't the way it was done, right? But watching them back to back this week, it reminded me a little bit of like um, the BBC Sherlock. You know what I mean? Because those are like hour and a half long movies yes. that are that are TV, but so like. If they had done like a third one of these, being that it's just like it is just a straight procedural movie, but just really well done the first one and pretty well done the second. Um, well, it's just interesting. The Fugitive is based on a book by the same title, and, and a, well, a TV show, right? And a TV show. Well, the TV show is based on the book, and the movie is based on the TV show, and so U.S. Marshals is based. You know, is is kind of like the plots, and we talked about this before, but the plots are so similar to one another. It's just basically both of these movies are based on the show slash book. Um, but except for the fact, you know, it's a movie format, so the twist is at the end instead of like episodically, like every forty five minutes or whatever Law and Order, however, however that long of a show is. Um, uh, so okay, let's let's talk about the fugitive. So basically, we start out with this like, I, I, and I I just want to kind of move past the fact that this is '90s. So there's a lot of hokey and cheesy editing and black and white and like you know they're like every time he's trying to remember something, there's like that echo. He's like, Julia, 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 
No, Richard, no, no. Richard. Richard, 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 help me, help me. Yeah. So we'll just like kind of, I mean, that's kind of of the times and it's not dated well, but the stuff that is dated well is like the overall story about this is that he's basically framed. And the only thing I'll say about the beginning part of the fugitive is, is that how law works with like no base evidence? He's just put in jail. Well, no, given so a, given it- lethal injection. Well, uh, I'm going to talk about that too. So in the beginning, I think their case is very weak and the cops are like talking to him. And I I imagine if he had just said, if the guy had had two arms and he's just like, this dude killed my wife, they would have been like, okay, all right, well maybe we'll look for this guy. But the fact that they're like, he was like, it's a one armed man. They're like, Oh, oh, okay. This is fucking crazy. This guy's like a crazy person. But Based on what the police are saying in the interrogation, I'm like, they don't really have enough, right? The scratches on the back, it's like, it, they're like, oh, his fingerprints are everywhere. They're on the gun. They're on this, they're on that. And it's like, it's, it's his, his house. Gun. Yeah, it's, it's his, his gun. house. The thing that seals it to me is in the trial, and it's it's smart writing to add it, is the her saying his name on the, on the voicemail to the police when she calls 911. It's so it's so smart because to to anyone else, it sounds like she's naming her killer. Right. But then with the context of it, she's obviously trying to and it's so obvious with the context. Right. She's obviously trying to warn him. She hears him come in. Right. She's trying to warn him that someone's in the house and that that, you know, if he's not careful, he'll be next. Um, But no, that was you're right. That was like the smartest thing about it. But it was so crazy because when he's in that interrogation room and they're like, one arm man what color uh what color eyes did he have what color hair did he have he's just standing there he's just sitting there say, saying nothing and i'm like i guess i guess i i get it i'm not gonna be too hard on it but like if they're asking you these specifics just answer just be like brown curly hair he's six foot three brown eyes like fucking like i don't know well part of the reason that happened is because they um they didn't tell him what they were gonna ask that scene was unscripted so it's Harrison Ford in real time trying to deal with this, but also trying to act like someone whose wife was just murdered. Uh, so I think good. that lends to that. But what I want to say is, so he is convicted and sentenced to death. And there is no timeline in this movie until way later on when uh, the one-armed man says, I, I went through all this a year ago, which I want to talk about when we get to that part. But um, the fact that they sentenced him to death, I think is a flaw in this movie. Like I think there's a major kind of flaw in the end of the movie. And then I think this is kind of a minor one where, you know, later on he's talking to his attorney and his attorney's like, what are you doing? Turn yourself in. Come on. And I'm like, why he's on death row. Why would he turn himself in? Like, what's the point? What what could he possibly? Yeah. One of my favorite things that the attorney said is, why did you run, Richard? It makes you look guilty. <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, he in the court, in the eyes of the court of the law, he is guilty. Like, yeah, I'd run me- too. all those fuckers in that in that in that prison transfer were on death row. Of course, they all run. Like, of course, they all run. I would have run. Yeah, I like the um, I think this next takes us to the the bus, which is like Top two fam- most famous scenes in this. I think there's there's three big ones to me, right? There's the bus and the train. There's I don't the, care the waterfall. Yeah, I don't care. And then there's the um the train station or the subway fight with uh the one armed man. Um. And oh really? I would say I Kimball. would say the, 
<laughs> I would say the rooftop at the end with the helicopter. I, I mean, it's the, the thing is, though, is I didn't even know it was happening until I got there. So that's why yeah. I didn't think it was that famous. I knew of all the other ones. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I had I seen, I had seen all one. the other ones. I've seen the, well, I've seen the rooftop one and I, I've, I've never seen the train one, but I guess we just had opposite experiences. Um, and I love the guy that plays the prison guard who just starts fucking firing willy nilly at everyone. Um, he's like, I, he is in, um, I'm looking up his name now. I'm trying to be very cool about it, but he is in office space as like the guy who comes up with the, like the jump to conclusions, like board game. Have you seen office space? I very little of it. No, Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, yeah. and then, the justified connection, Nick Cersei, Raylan Givens' boss, is the sheriff. Oh, I didn't even. He's so he young. Has, he has and he has hair, right? So it's like, yeah, wow, yeah. Now I see it. Um, yeah, I love, I love seeing him in it. And he's like, all right, Wyatt Earp, take over. Which Wyatt Earp's a U.S. Marshal? Um, and he, I had to look it be... up. I had to look it up. So Wyatt Earp has a very weird thing. I don't want to get too into it. But uh, if you read Wyatt Earp's story, it sounds made up. It like from beginning to end, it sounds made up. And I was like, why does it sound made up but also familiar? It's basically the plot to Justified. I just want to say. Well, I mean, there's also a Wyatt Earp movie, right? Yeah, but I mean, Wyatt Earp was a real guy who like no, I know, a I know. Bro- gang of brothers back in the 1800s. But it sounds it sounds like a fake made up story. Yeah, so think... weird. There's a guy named Doc Holiday, which is like, <laughs> it sounds yeah. like the most made up name. All right, so we're we're definitely doing Tombstone now, right? We have to do <laughs> Tombstone. Course. So, oh, is that based um, on Wyatt Earp? Yeah, and Doc Holiday oh. and the oh, the shit. shootout, the shootout at the OK Corral. All, oh shit, we got to do it. All that. All right, let's do it soon. So, um, Tommy Lee Jones shows up. And he has his own music cue when he enters the frame. And I'm just like, he's a fucking superhero. And then he goes and gives the speech. And I was like, I know this guy's innocent and I want to go fucking find him right now. That's how fired up I am. <laughs> you know, the thing is, too, is that he was uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Right. Did he win? He he won. Oh, he fuck. OK, he won an Academy Award for this. And, I, and when you told me this and I've already seen it one uh, once. And I was like, eh, okay, I, why? Why did he win? He must have won for this intro alone. Because this speech where he's like talking to everyone, he takes over the investigation off of the dumb fucking sheriff, um, which is, it's so similar to what happens. There's a scene in U.S. Marshals this happens very similarly in. Um, but the way he does it in this one is so, it's such, it's just better writing and it's not as goofy. Uh, well, and I the, will say this: I feel like it take fugitive takes itself way more seriously than U.S. Marshals does. Well, what's interesting, the tone of U.S. Marshals is it's very funny and goofy, which I actually really like. And obviously, as an eleven-year-old, I liked. Um, but then it gets fairly dark oh, in certain yeah, spots, yeah. Um, and even like Wesley Snipes like mid to late nineties and like early two thousands just made a career out of like United States conspiracy movies, like murder <laughs> 1600 art of war, this, like he's done so many of these like 
over and over and over again. And I think this like is one of my favorites. I I love Murdered Sixteen Hundred, and I know you haven't seen that, so that's definitely going to be added into the queue. Um, but I think there's other things in this that Tommy Lee Jones does that like gives him that like the I don't care. I think this is something I want to say. He has a huge arc over these two movies. Like he uh, like he does. It, he definitely does, especially the one. first one. Well, no. So his arc continues, though, right? Because in in this movie, he's like kind of not a good guy. Like you would say, like he's a bad cop. Like in 2020, you're like, we're now 2023. In 2023, you're like, that guy should not be a cop. Like he's shooting at people who aren't, you know, aren't armed as they're running away. Like he shoots that one dude in the back, like or in the head, like uh, Copeland. Um, which I mean, all of that is, you know, justified, but it's just like watching it. You're like, he's not that great of a guy. And then the scene where he, you know, Kimball's like, I didn't kill my wife. And he's like, I don't care. We're going to do that like seven more times, but he didn't even have an accent, but yes, go, go ahead. I haven't worked on my TLJ. So, um, but he, he goes from this guy who's like, I don't care. And then it, like the evidence gets shoved in his face. Like, oh, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. I love when he's talking to the Chicago cops and like, so why do you, why do you think it was him? And he's like, well, I mean, the wife was rich. And he's like, he was a doctor. Like he was rich. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do want to say that uh, the similarities between this and the firm is incredible because they're both like super geniuses who have like a norm, like a normal job. One's a doctor, one's a lawyer. And then they're both married into wealth, but also they are wealthy, like independently wealthy themselves. And I I don't know. I found that funny. Um, So we move on to the fact that he's tracking him down. He's doing all these smart things. And one thing I really love just at a, like a, you know, overall view of the film is that there's not a moment of the movie that, uh, Tommy Lee Jones isn't right on the tail of Harrison Ford. And I think for this kind of movie to work, you need that constant uh, suspense of, he, oh, he's going to catch him here. He's going to catch him here. Because even though in the beginning of the film, Harrison Ford gets all the way to the hospital, he gets a change of clothes, he gets a shave. Love the line between the him and the, the cop at the hospital. He's like, Six foot three, white guy, brown hair. You know, he's oh like, "Oh my god, yeah." Have you seen that? Have you seen him? And he, and Harrison Ford's like, every time I look in the mirror, pal. Well, <laughs> except the beard. <laughs> it's just such a great line. But then he steals the ambulance, which really gives him away. And then he just, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is in a helicopter pursuing him. It leads to the damn thing. So it's like constant. It's like the only bit of levity that Harrison Ford has is when he jumps off of that dam which would have literally killed a real person in real life. Um, you, can clear, you can clearly see it's a dummy when he jumps off. So, Well, yeah, because uh, it's just what, flying, flapping around. What I like is the reason that he keeps catching up to him is because, well, partially the reason. He keeps like almost getting caught at the hospital, at the ambulance, you know, when he steals the ambulance, he can't help but go check on the prison guard that he saved earlier. And he's like, you know, tell him about the punctured lung. And the guy's like, how can you tell just for the face? If he hadn't walked up to that prison guard, they wouldn't have had that lead. So the damn scene never happens. He probably gets, you know, it's a much easier escape for him, right? Because he gets in an ambulance. They won't realize it's missing for a little bit. He'll get away. Um, But what's beautiful about this movie, though, is that because of his good deeds that almost get him caught, it builds a character reputation for himself 
that Tommy Lee Jones isn't like without noticing it throughout the film, like with the little boy in the hospital between him and Julianne Moore and stuff like that. And so one of the one of the I'll just say this one of the things that pissed me off in this whole film is the fucking other prison guard who is like, I try to pull my partner out of the way. But the trick like I'm like, shut your mouth. You left them for dead. I was like, oh, gross. But anyway, so his his character reputation and all these little things he's doing to like save people along the way before trying to exonerate himself ends in the fact that when they're you know face to face in the laundromat at the end tommy lee jones is like i'm not gonna shoot you and it just it works because if it wasn't without that then it it wouldn't have made a much sense at the end well no but he also already knew he was innocent you know he he listed off all the things but i mean also the when they're at the dam he has his gun he has him and this is supposed to be a cold-blooded killer that murdered his wife. And he's like, I didn't kill my wife. And he kind of puts the gun down and, and walks away. Um, apparently, the line was supposed to be, instead of I don't care, it's supposed to be that isn't my problem. And Tommy Lee Jones just rewrote it because he was like, that's stupid. <laughs> and he was right. He was, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, after the damn thing, he gets quite a lead. Uh, and it goes into this whole thing where he's trying to like obviously he's trying to find out who who killed his wife so he can like prove his innocence but at the same time he gets the idea where it's like oh i have to check the prosthetic records you know well that's how he that's how he has to do it and so like he's doing that and then we have the u.s marshals one they're like oh this woman called and said she's um she just picked up this guy and, uh, you know, he's right guy. after we see him being hitchhiked out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I literally was right now. I was like, what the fuck? Why would she, call? she just picked this guy. Why would she call da, da, da? And then like when it's Copeland, I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's still a little weird, but whatever. But then yeah. I like after this, when Gerard's like, we're going to basically reinvestigate this murder. That's how we're going to find him. And they're interviewing all of his friends and all of them. Like, first of all, I want to say like Nichols is probably like, it's such a perfectly written like twist at the end. Yeah. That like, even though as you're watching it, you can see it's in your face just by the way this character acts, even though his motivations, his motivation is off. It's weird. I, I will say that I saw it coming from a mile away. And when I sat down and watched this with Taylor, she called out Nichols immediately having to never seen this movie. And I, I think just because of the trope, it's painfully obvious. Well, you and Taylor do this thing where you you call out five different things and then one of them is right. And then you're like, fucking knew it. And you don't she remember did think, the she she saw Lentz in the beginning scene <laughs> of the ballroom. She goes, it's Lentz. And I go, OK, babe, that's Lentz. what. And and then and then it was like, oh, it's Lentz. It's Lentz. And she's like, oh, I was fucking right. I was right. And then it's like, no, Lentz died. <laughs> well, it does kind of like. Yeah, I guess Lentz wasn't he was sort of in on it but not in on it right like he was no he, he wasn't, wasn't in he was, on it at all because he was sending in the correct tissue sh- samples and and Nichols is the one who switched them out so they okay so they were yeah the the last half of them weren't correct after he died they were all sent in like the day he died okay um and he probably Nichols probably like tried to tell him I want to talk about Nichols no- motivation when we get to the end because it doesn't make sense to me um but I, Nichols at one point is even like he's smarter 
he's smarter than you and like oh is he smarter than is he smarter than you talking to the dr nichols he's like i don't know is he as smart as you and he goes he's smarter than me which is like why are you helping him for the rest of the movie you know um right, right but i mean if you think about it if he is smarter than him and he's trying to be on his side it really throws you for a loop if you are dr but it also Kimball. But, but yeah but then you also question the motivation as the audience like why is he doing this because like maybe if kimball got in his car he would then get kimball caught because that's really what you need to happen is you need him to get caught but like at the end when he's like, oh, Richard, you need to prove the samples. And then he authorizes Richard to get the samples. See, that doesn't make sense, except for the fact you're forgetting something very important. Tell me. Okay. He calls Bones to authorize the samples when Richard gets there, correct? Mm-hmm. You know who he also calls? The one-armed yeah, man to go to there kill and kill him. him. I, I'm not forgetting it. It's just like... you. You gave him the idea. Like you could have given yeah, but, him a thousand other ideas. Yeah, but I guess you just have to assume he's so smart he'll get there eventually. So why not get there with your help and then send in a, send a hitman after him? Like and they and they they also don't explain like he's a rich doctor too. Like I would have liked some ex- explanation at the end about why he did all this. Uh, billions of dollars apparently. He's a board member and they made like 7.5 billion. He's not getting all of that. I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, but I think if you are found out that your your like new drug is a poison and it kills people, then it would set you back or just ruin your company altogether. Yeah, I mean, the movie doesn't even tell you that he works for that company until the very end. And it's like, I don't know. It's it's, it's odd. So, so we already talked about the Julianne Moore scene. I really love that, especially the way he like gets that kid in. And you can see like. Harrison Ford's face when he's like, are they going to take him into surgery? And they do. And you're like, so happy. Um, and then we get to the St. Patty's day, which is, um, I don't know why he had to go to that jail. I mean, like maybe check out the other guy before you go to a, a police building to go to a jail, you know? Well, it was funny when he was doing the, uh, like he was narrowing it down to like, see who he was. And he, the first like set of circumstances, uh, perimeters he typed in and gave him 21 choices i was like oh 21 isn't that bad actually you know like 21's pretty good and then he types in like a hybrid joint arm uh el- elbow hybrid joint and it takes him down to five i was like oh fuck five is be- <laughs> five is better yeah and at that point he gets caught at the hospital but it doesn't even matter um the acting on that dude who gives drugs to 12 year olds is just like it seems too good. Like, <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to say, oh, you didn't like his acting. I was like, I thought he nailed it like too well. A little too well. That's what too I was saying. Well. A little too well, my friend. Like, And I thought that was really good. It was another like throw you for the loop for the audience was like, oh, my God, how did they fucking find him in that person's basement? In that like Eastern European woman's basement? Like, no way. And then he finds out the same time we find out that that and <laughs> Taylor's so funny. She's watching this with me, and they're like, "We caught her. We caught him stringing out twelve-year-olds." And she's like, "Whoa, this movie is dark." And I was like, "What do you think stringing <laughs> out twelve-year-olds mean?" And she goes, "Like raping them." And I was like, "No, like drugging them." And I mean, why did he like, drug them though? Why did he <laughs> drug them? I guess. I mean, yeah. So no, but anyways. So and. But it's not actually long after that that he um, 
Oh, it's because the guys struck a deal with them. They'd be like, hey, let me off a little bit uh, and I'll tell you your fugitive staying at my mom's, you know? Yeah. So in, yeah, and then it leads to the hospital scene. And then the next day he goes to the, the place, uh, you know, and uh, the, the cop station, the, the jail, the jail. And um, they have this thing in the movie and it happens in all movies where there's a chase scene where the guy chasing just happens to always go the right way. I would love just to like, have it where like he turns down a different way and then the other guy just keeps going. It's just like, all right, we lost him this time. <laughs> like, but it's really soon- great though. Like building up the suspense as he's walking down the stairs on the opposite side and he's walking up the stairs and then he just catches like the back glimpse of him. And, and why would you look up? You're a fugitive. Richard! On a run. Richard! <laughs> and then he looks up and it's just, yeah, chase ensues. But that whole thing with the glass, the bulletproof glass closing and um, I think I'm fig- kind of as I'm talking through some, I'm understanding more what you mean about a good character arc through both movies, because this one kind of really establishes Tommy Lee Jones as like a shoot first, ask questions later sort of guy, which right. changes changes at the end. But there's this there's a scene where it's the Copeland scene, right, where he shoots him at, in the head and despite almost killing Newman. Um, and and there's Newman. a really and there's a really dramatic scene here where um, he gets real close to Newman and he's like, I don't bargain. Right. Like your life is not worth me losing my fugitive. And then it's followed up with the shooting scene where he and I love this. Right. The, the bullet ricochets off of the glass, off of the bulletproof glass right like right a juxtaposed to hit uh Harrison Ford's forehead. Yeah. And then he falls and then he shoots him again, like would have nailed him. Uh, but that's like the part where you're like, Oh man, this guy is not, I think it's nineties versus two, you know, 2020. Like you don't show a cop shooting a fleeing suspect that doesn't have a weapon. Um, and I guess Tommy Lee Jones argued that he shouldn't shoot at him. And the director's like, you should. And he does. And I do think it does lead to kind of a more, like robust character arc through the two movies, right? Because in U.S. Marshals, there's a ton of times where he's like, "Don't shoot, don't shoot," you know, and he won't shoot a guy that he should, right? Um, or that he could would be justified in. Like the big dude from Bloodsport in the in the first scene in U.S. Marshals, he could shoot that guy. Like the guy's beating the shit out of his cop partners, he could shoot him, but instead he like points the gun at him and is like, "I will." Well, he he hits he hits him with the bun of the shotgun. And he gets in trouble for that, right? Because he, like, he was in handcuffs. But I mean, that's a big fucking dude, you know? Yeah. But what I'm saying is that his degree of separation for like what he tolerated then and now he still gets in trouble for it. And I thought that was an interesting way, especially when you do like Robert Downey Jr. character in U.S. Marshals shoots first and asks questions later for a different reason. But I think in a way, Tommy Lee Jones's character sees a lot of himself in Robert Downey Jr.'s character from the past. Um, and I think it works out well that 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 twist happens. I don't want to say it now, but yeah. So he goes to Sykes' house. It happens to be the one-armed man, like sees the pictures. I love the call to Tommy Lee Jones. And like, oh, Richard Kimball's on the line. He's like, oh, it's another one. And then when he fight, he realizes it's him. And the way that he's like, you know, you said you didn't care. Uh, he's like, well, he's like, yeah, I'm not here to solve a puzzle. He's like, well, I've solved it. And he doesn't hang up the phone cause he wants them to find the house. 
I think it's such so a cool, cool detail. So such cool detail. Um, and then Sykes shows up to his house and they're all there and he's like, this is what I wanted to say. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. Sykes is like, they all came around a year ago to talk to me, which to me, when I, I watched this again today, I thought I like, there's no timeline from when he was convicted to when he broke out. He's got a long beard, right? But I'm assuming when Sykes said they came a year ago, that that was when they were investigating the murder. Right. Which also means that he killed Lentz right around the same time he killed Richard Kimball's wife, which also makes sense. Yes. That that they did it around the same time. After. So the Chicago police came and talked. I know. And they either didn't tell his lawyer, which means he would be owed a new trial or which he's going to and he's actually innocent but or his lawyer was told and didn't do shit with it which is also a problem not only that but sykes first off you name your character sykes he's gonna be a bad a bad guy okay and second of all sykes works security at the same pharmaceutical company that did the fundraiser the night that his wife died and he has one arm um and not to even mention what the fuck the fact- does that mean and he has one arm because it fits I know, the description uh it fits the description and it's the same pharmaceutical company that that threw the benefit that same night that his wife died right then and there it's like all this connection and and it's funny too because i guess it did not occur to uh Kimball the fact that how did they if there was no breaking and entering how did the killer get the keys into the apartment and he it's so obvious now probably to him too but he didn't even think that when he let Nichols borrow his car that he could have made a copy of the key or like let Sykes in at that point no he must have no, he must have let Sykes in at that point, right? Because Sykes was like already like searching through the stuff to try to find evidence. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it's it's really well written because it's it's a small detail at the very beginning of the movie. I mean, it's after the murder, but it's like, hey, how did my car drive? Did you put any gas in it? And it's just yeah. so tiny that like I you know I didn't even think about it. Um. So then he um he after he makes this call. He calls Nichols. Nichols is like, you need to prove the drug. He goes and, and gets it. And um, the woman from Glee, whose name is escaping me right now. Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch wanted to fuck Dr. Richard Kimball. I mean, she would have done anything for him. <laughs> she really would have. But I, I kind of love it how they get these character witnesses. In, and I guess they got them into the trial, too. But they're doing it through this investigation and uh, every single person that they talk to about Kimball is like, oh, he's the most stand up, most righteous, most nicest guy you will ever meet. I would do anything for him. And then Jane Lynch is just out. like even the fucking guy who killed his wife was like, I love the dude. He's like my brother. And then Jane Lynch is like totally simping for him. Yeah, I love it. Um, And she basically determines that. Every blood sample, like a liver sample that was given, was from the exact same healthy liver that was not, you know, not in the trial. And um, that's when he makes the connection because it was all done the day Lentz died, 
who also had access to it and he knows and you know because the look on his face um especially when he says the killer one-liner he's like i have to go see a friend um you know it's nichols at that point so there's like this huge huge um face off at the benefit and another benefit uh yeah face at another benefit and I like how Tommy Lee Jones, you know, his other U.S. Marshals are like, where is he going? And uh, Tommy Lee is like, oh, I know. I know exactly where he's going. Yeah. And so this leads to what I think is one of the most famous scenes, which is on the subway. Well, that because at that time. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and his other people find out that Nichols lied to them. And he's like, why would he lie to me? And then and then because because he's lied about his connection with Lentz. He's like, why would he lie about his connection with Lentz? So at the same exact and I love this about the movie at the same exact time that uh, Harrison Ford figures it out. Tommy Lee Jones figures it out and then we figure it out. It's pretty great. It is. Yeah, no, it is. And I. um, Did you recognize who the cop is? no i didn't that gets shot you didn't no i didn't it's dr yanni tor so you never watched the show scrubs and not religiously in the show scrubs the janitor is played by neil flynn who also plays the cop who was shot who says kimball and gets shot by sykes and in the show scrubs the main character JD is watching the fugitive and sees the janitor. And the whole episode is about him. Like, and the janitor's like, yeah, I was a fucking actor and I just decided to clean hospital floors. Cause I, <laughs> Oh like my it. God. And then at the end of the mo- at the end of the episode, he goes Kimball and like points at the main guy. And he's like, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And then that's it. Like, so it's just like this cool connection to it. Um, and I love that's that. Funny. Show. That's um, funny. but him, like, you know, he shoots the cop and then the way Harrison Ford, dives for the cord to pull it to completely stop the train and then i like that he beats the shit out of the one-armed guy pretty easily because like he should be able to right and you've been in prison for a year like you should have worked out a little bit um and then the way he calls out you know he's calling out dr nichols in this thing he's like i want to talk to you and they go into another room and i'm like you need to tell these people that this drug doesn't work and then he screams back he's like yeah, and you you know the trial data, it's all bullshit. Like you know you're you're just because so you could you know sell this drug, um, and then we get to the ending, and Doctor Nichols never explains himself once, like why he killed Helen. Just doesn't say a word from then on. Like really, just tries to I'm, kill everybody. I took it as that. It's it's kind of complicated, right? Because then you have to think about all right. Well, he let Sykes in went back to the benefit. And then I guess either Sykes couldn't find the thing and they must've had a conversation. He's like, I can't find the evidence. He's like, well, stay there until they show up and then kill them both because I can't let this come out. Or, um, he was still searching for the evidence and Helen came in and just going to kill her anyways, but expecting Kimball to come. But Lentz calls Kimball in for the emergency surgery. So that kind of saves his life, I guess. But then Sykes continues to wait for him at the house under Nichols's orders, but he gets he gets the better of him anyways. I 
that's that's my best that's my best going through it well you tried your best yeah i um i mean i know he's trying to kill harrison ford right so it doesn't he doesn't need to explain it to us but you know when you have your evil mastermind at the end of the movie he likes to explain himself and this guy just chose not to and then was gonna kill two u.s marshals and kimball and then not get caught at all i mean i guess he's trusting that the chicago police are gonna chicago police and yeah. so he'll be fine like i get that's but yeah yeah, yeah i, don't know. I, think I, that's, I, that's I pretty still... much what he was banking on and then it, it was like well it, yeah yeah i mean he doesn't want to be caught monologuing you know that's every like mastermind villains um downfall i i still think his like nickel's motivation throughout the movie is a little odd of like sort of almost helping kimball like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me um the trip from the from the roof to the laundry room is cool because they fall down that like um skylight onto the elevator but the way that harrison ford's arm just comes out of that elevator to push the door back yeah um, I, I do, it was interesting how like the doctor woke up first when he like fell farther and what seemed like on a, like a harder surface. No, on a softer surface. It was like a bunch of like bats of laundry and, and Harrison Ford hit the fucking aluminum roof of the elevator. Uh, by the way, the fugitive is sort of based on a true story of a guy, uh, named Sam Shepard who like, I, yeah, was accused of murder and there was a one armed man so I, oh the one uh, man was was part of the same story i didn't read the whole article but just, nah, just okay. skimmed it but you Got know, it. know i'll I'll send it to you um but i also i love the ending where you know he he like tells him it's over and he's like they all killed my wife he's like i know and i'm glad it's over i'm, I'm tired and the way that he like handcuffs him so he can get him to the car and then immediately takes them off and just like He's like, I thought you didn't care. And he's like, I don't, you know, but don't tell anybody. I, I love that ending of it. And I think that is like, it is, you know, from 1990s, like that is like a complete arc where you're like, ah, I fucking like this guy now. Yeah. I mean, you kind of always like him because he's so charismatic anyways, like Tommy Lee Jones is. But, but you know, uh, another thing from the 90s is that it knows when to leave a movie. And so when they're in the car and he says this thing and they're driving away, there's no like, prologue to or uh, is it an epilogue at that point no, it's a prologue right epilogue is at the end prologue Ep- is at the oh beginning. okay okay so there's no epilogue where it's like you have to see a retrial or like uh you know like a voiceover thing it just like ends the movie right there and that's like I that's like, the best way to walk out of it i like the way that the uh that u.s marshals does it where it's like he wasn't tried yet because he ran right away so in the end, when they figure out that he is innocent, it's like, all right, well, we don't even need to do, need to do anything else. We're just not going to go through with the trial because we know. Um, That's true. I, I know we're done talking about we're about to move on to U.S. Marshals, but I did find a bunch of like, you know, who could have been the characters. Uh, oh, sure, sure. So Alec Baldwin was a choice. Um, for Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones? For Richard Kimball. Oh, okay. Andy Garcia? Andy Garcia was considered... Nick Nolte was considered, although I can't see for which part, and that Walter Hill would have directed that version. And then Christopher Reeves, Mel Gibson were both considered for Kimball, but Gibson was also considered for Sam Gerard, which I think, you know, 
back then Gibson didn't have all the controversy that has now surrounding him being in a role, but like, I think he could have done either of those and been fine. I, my major takeaway though, from this movie is like how fucking good Tommy Lee Jones in the, is in this. Like, and if you don't understand why, like people love Tommy Lee Jones, like this is like, he's so good. Well, I don't, I agree with you, but I also don't want to go without saying that uh, Harrison Ford is amazing in this also. Like, this is probably one of his better acting roles, is this film. Um, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is kind of overtakes it, especially winning the Academy Award for it. But I just, you know, Harrison Ford is is the best he's been in this film. He's, like, oh, he's lastly, really um... good. Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for Dr. Richard Kimball, which I find to be no absurd, absurd. Okay. So we move on to us marshals. Um, and it starts out the exact uh, same way. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it starts out with killings over the like opening credits, right? Like, we, okay. Okay. Which is- In that sense it does, but it doesn't start out with, and, and what's interesting about this movie is it kind of, it, the perspective is way more on Tommy Lee Jones than it is the fugitive. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, because the, you know, the first movie is Harrison Ford's, but I think Tommy Lee Jones kind of like stole that movie, and so the reason the second movie is made is to have, you know, a Tommy Lee Jones movie, a Sam Gerard yeah. movie again. And it's yeah. kind of funny. I was reading that. So Joey Pantoliano, Joey Pants, was gonna die in the first movie, and he begged and begged to survive in case there was a sequel and there was but then also um i read this i don't know if it's true because it doesn't make any sense but seal award who plays uh mrs kimball was like wanted to live too and i was like well i mean one she wouldn't have been in the sequel anyway but two like the movie does not work if she's not murdered oh no she she has to die (laughs) has to she had to die um for the greater good yeah, but you know, you have this all this like camaraderie at the beginning where they're at the bar and it's like he's he's the leader of their team, so it's like he demands some sort of respect, which they kind of make fun of him. And they made fun of him for it in the first one too. And he's their friend, but also ultimately he's their boss. And so it's like this hierarchy quickly established. Um But yeah, and then they then they have this house raid. Uh, I well, love that, the chicken suit. The chicken suit is so I good. Lo- I love the chicken suit. Well, one, yeah, because that like opens the movie besides like the opening credits, right? And you don't know what it is, right? I mean, did you assume it was Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. Well, because yeah. I thought like w- watching or, or it this Cosmo, time, it could have been Cosmo. I I was like, it almost could be like an, an a hitman, right? Because it just doesn't make sense. Apparently, Tommy Lee Jones was supposed to be in like a priest outfit, and they're the the wardrobe people are like chicken suits funnier and it is like i fucking love that like the he looks as soon as the guys the marks walk into the house that, that that he's looking for he looks like tommy lee jones through the chicken suit it's just like he stares and then drops the food and then just starts walking yep. and then pulls out the gun and starts cocking it before he takes the head off and then yeah. as he takes the head off his music cue plays again yeah, and and then he's walking the rest of the time with the chicken suit on, except with the hat. It's just, it's great. It's great, and that whole raid thing is great. Where you know he had a he took the shotgun away from the one guy and then put it to the other guy's head. Um, 
as he like bites down on the partner. Yeah, it's just like that whole opening scene establishes quickly how like first of all, yeah, it's a sequel to The Fugitive, but it's it's complete tonal shift to it too. One thing I want to bring up, and this is not something, it's not something I realized until I watched The Fugitive again today. So in The Fugitive, the entire team of U.S. Marshals comes back for The Fugitive, except for um, the woman who plays Poole, L. Scott Caldwell, in the first movie, is not does not return and instead Latanya Richardson Jackson, who wasn't Jackson at the time, but is now Samuel Jackson's wife, she plays Cooper in U.S. Marshals. They are different characters, but they are the exact same. Like they fill the exact same role in the movie yes. and in the team, and yeah. there's no mention of the change. And I like, I'd have to like watch the movie in detail to go back and hear their names even mentioned in the movie. Like for. I was like, oh, it's just the same. It's like it was. It's such a weird. Careful decision. there. No, but it's such a weird decision. It is. To it like, is. It's, it's almost like it's almost like within the movie, like within <laughs> the world of the movie, there's a quota where it's like we have to have one black woman on our U.S. Marshals team. Well, it's like I guess they couldn't get um, the first person back, um, Caldwell back, but they like wanted someone to fill that role, but they're like but we're going to give them a different character name, but we're not even going to address really that they're a different character. It's just, it was, it's, it's so odd when you notice it. And I wonder how many people even like notice it because it's like, it's not as if they're not twins or anything, but they're like not in the movie that much. Right. So it's like, they're not the characters you're, you're looking at. So I like the changes like, well, obviously we have Wesley Snipes in this and he is going to get sent back to New York. I like the, the change of having Tommy Lee Jones on the plane and it being a plane. They're like, if we're going to do it, it's going to be a fucking plane this time. And um, I guess prisoner transport planes like this don't exist. And like the movie was kind of look like the, the producers and the director were looking into it and were like, Oh, we want something that like looks cool. And so they designed this prisoner transport plane that doesn't exist with like the locking, locking mechanisms. The yeah. And then the, uh, the toilet that's open so you can see. And then, um, yeah, then the uh, the makeshift gun that's hidden in there that they he tries to shoot Wesley Snipes, but Wesley Snipes is expecting it, and um, the movie takes a dark turn when the all the guards are like, "Hey, we can't save the rest of them," and eight dudes just drown in front of us. <laughs> Corny but dark. Yes. Um, the the other thing is, you know who wasn't expecting that uh, gun absolutely blowing a hole into the plane? Me. When it happened, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing, it's like way bigger budget. It's like upping the stakes from train to plane. It's its kind of a different thing, but also like this big accident that lets everyone loose at the end. Right. So it's like it's the same, but different. What I think 21 or 22 Jump Street said it the best. It's like the same shit. But different. and. With this, I think the biggest difference is the introduction to Robert Downey Jr.'s character. He adds this like really interesting charisma that Tommy Lee Jones has, but just a different way. You know what's interesting is, and I don't know if you and Taylor saw this coming from the entire way, but 
they make it very obvious he's a bad guy, or at least very obvious that him and Wesley Snipes are the exact same, like had the exact same job because of the whole, like the glasses thing with the handcuffs where, you know, he handcuffs Robert Downey Jr. He breaks the guy's glasses, undoes, undoes them. And the, like one of the, one of his partners is like, Oh, I've never seen that. Tom Lee Jones is like, I have. And so we're like immediately like, Oh, we're on to this guy. But I think and we're then- supposed to be on to him because even when like he calls, remember, and I had to rewind this part a couple of times. Cause I was like, if you blink, you miss it. And it is when they find the pin in the plane. Yeah. And they go back out and Robert Downey Jr. is already on the phone. And Tommy Lee Jones slaps the cuffs on him. Remember that? Yes. I was like, why? I don't quite get why what he did at that point, but I guess it was just passing off information. It's like it's his investigation. So like, why are you reporting back? And then I think he just doesn't trust him immediately. And like the the cuffs is almost kind of a test that it's a little weird that he would know to do that. Um, But... Yeah, he just doesn't like that he's calling the State Department and reporting all of this. But what I was saying with the Robert Downey Jr. thing is like you kind of suspect him right away. And then the movie does a really good job after that of like him being good enough in trying to catch this guy and like sincere enough. And like he killed my partners that and well, and even the scene where he's like, get me the security footage from the U.N. He's like, oh, we can't do that. And he's like, get it. And then he gets it. Well, he knows it's like not going to be good that they're going to see that this was not a cold blooded murder. This was self defense. But it's, so it, it kind of makes you like you suspect him, and then you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's just you know whatever. And then I think the ending, oh, and it's not even the ending. It's like with thirty minutes left when he shoots Noah, that you're like, oh, holy fuck, Jesus! Literally my favorite character. Literally really? my favorite character. Yeah. And I saw it coming and I saw it coming and I was like, is he, is he going to die? I was like, no, he's not going to die. And they build it up so well, right? I think they build it up like him running up the stairs, intercut with the fight. And Tommy Lee Jones has this like protective father role towards Noah. And he's like, stay here till the cops come. Oh my God. It's heartbreaking too. Cause he comes in to try to save him just to be gunned down by the own. Like, uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate this movie for that. Killing <laughs> killing poor ponytail. Um, but it's a necessary death because it leads to this very cool ending. However, the twist where, you know, Robert Downey Jr. has Wesley Snipes down on the ground, gun to the head, and then just toots, turns around and puts two right in Noah. It shocked me to my core. I did not see that coming a thousand percent. Well, in this movie, I mean... This movie does a lot similar to The Fugitive, but in the first movie, it's like, oh, we're now letting you know it's Lens. And in this movie, you're like, oh, it's Barrows. So now the movie has like let you in on the twist, and then there's another twist. But the only twist is the fact that, well, yeah, that's true. So, so of course, it's Barrows. I think Barrows is the obvious one. And then uh rdj is the not so obvious one but as soon as you find out it's rdj i think the whole movie you're thinking when is gerard gonna find out like that's the whole 
thing, you're still with it as the audience. Well, and as I mean, as Newman is staring at RDJ as he's holding the thing on him. Oh, okay, that's enough. That's enough. It's sad. I get it. We'll move back. The swamp part is pretty cool. RDJ like looking at through the trees and (laughs) Snipes is just staring at him and like, is he going to see me? Like, like up in a tree, like up in the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you notice the weird cut? And it's this like thing that you said in The Fugitive where it happened in the beginning, but it was subtle enough to not really like um, go on anyone's radar. This, the swamp thing wasn't in the beginning of the movie. But there's a weird cut when Wesley Snipes takes RDJ hostage and Tommy Lee Jones pulls the gun. And when RDJ gets away from Snipes, there's a weird cut to the hands where he pulls away the the. So there's this shot in the swamp scene in the swamp scene where um, it's a close up on the hands. And so as Wesley Snipes is getting away from them, uh, you you see RDJ swipe the gun like the secondary gun um, from him. And I and the movie doesn't make it clear until the end, I guess. But you're supposed to think that Tommy Lee Jones thinks that Wesley Snipes still has both of their pistols. And um, I guess Robert Downey Jr. never says anything about him swiping it back from him. So that's why the twist at the end with like the same gun that killed. um, That killed uh, Noah is the same gun that RDJ had at the beginning, just with the with the uh, pin number crossed out. It's kind of a dumb twist if you think about it that way, but that's the way it works. Well, no, I don't think you're supposed to. I think he's just trying to say it's a different gun. Like we, I think he like gets, I don't know, maybe he gets his fingerprints on him. I don't understand. I, I think they really, the beginning of it, he shows him his gun. He's like, oh, this nickel plated bullshit. And then we see the gun again when he pulls it back from um, Wesley Snipes. And so we just made a big deal of like his gun is silver. Remember it's silver. And then he shoots Noah with a silver gun. And then later on, he's like, oh, this was Wesley Snipes gun. And he looks and the serial numbers crossed off. And Gerard's a smart guy and he knows guns. So he's like, this was the gun that you had earlier. I recognize it. And um, yeah. And I love the banter between him being like, oh, which one did you choose? Oh, my gun. Yeah. You know, being my mentor and all. And then that quick little swap of the of the magazine was was smooth as hell it was it's like he shows us it happening and then like because you know it happens you're like oh he just does it right in front of him which is um is interesting so after the one thing about this movie i I noticed too is that um tommy lee jones is really tough on his team you know he's tough on like all the other cops in the fugitive but in this one he's tough on his team he's like you know they're like oh hey man we're tired and he's like sleep next month we're still going um But he's also like he is softer, right? Like he doesn't choose to, you know, in the first movie, he shoots Copeland as Noah has him. In this one, he doesn't even care about Robert Downey Jr., but he won't shoot Wesley Snipes because he's got Robert Downey Jr. And then he gets shot because of it. And the other thing, I forget which part it happens in the movie, but he says to Robert Downey Jr., he's like, why does your cold-blooded killer keep going out of his way to let people live? Because he like he steals this 18-wheeler with these people and it doesn't kill him. He puts this guy in a camper, he doesn't kill him. He doesn't kill Tommy Lee Jones. He doesn't kill Robert Downey Jr. when it would make sense to have killed both of them. Um, and he doesn't kill any of those people. Uh, 
and I, 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 I like that he's like, it, you know, with Richard Kimball, it took a lot of evidence being thrown right in his face to be like, oh, this guy's innocent. And in this yeah. one, he's like, this doesn't seem right. He's like become more, it let, not as concerned with, or, you know, he's concerned with catching people, but he's also like, hey, you know, let me, is this guy actually guilty, you know, or is what we're doing right? So when Noah dies and, and Snipes gets away and climbs the roof, right? And Tommy Lee Jones is up there with him. He's about to jump off. Pulls the gun. He could easily shoot him right then and there, right? But he doesn't. And that's kind of like the character development that you're talking about. Um, I was really, really hoping that he was going to turn around Wesley Snipes and says, I didn't shoot your partner. And then he goes, I actually care about that. That is something I would like to thank you for telling me. <laughs> um, but it doesn't happen. So, uh, but the I swinging, talk- the swinging from the rope onto the moving train. How about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens. That happens way later, though. We're not there yet. We're we're there when he kills Noah. No, you skipped ahead. We haven't even talked about the Chinese bag man and the cemetery. Oh my god! And there's a Chinese bag man kills a guy in the shower, and now we're in the cemetery. Although the graveyard scene is pretty badass. That's why I want to talk about it. You know, they follow this Chinese guy because they, for, at the same as the fugitive, they find his apartment. And in this one, he's got like this equipment. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, oh, turn that off. And Robert Downey Jr., being good, you know, good at his job, like finds the security feed, right? And finds, uh, you know, the Chinese guy at the Chinese consulate. Um, at first, I thought it was the UN. And I was like, why is it only Chinese people going in here? <laughs> um, but it was the Chinese consulate. And then, so they follow this guy, and then they see him do a drop uh, with a guy walking across the street, take it to the cemetery, and this is where we find out Barrows is there. And Wesley Snipes in, what I read, he didn't like this disguise either, but it is horrible. <laughs> the long hair, oh, the long like hair. the mustache. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. Um, but the whole thing where he confronts, what's his name, Burrows? Barrows? Barrows, yeah. Barrows. In the church, and then as he's walking out, the Chinese guy, sniper on the roof and everything like that. Um, the running between gravestones and Tommy Lee Jones trying not to get shot. Um, and then Barrows just getting just like absolutely head blown off. You know, what's interesting also about the cemetery scene is this movie is so action packed and fast paced. And then we get to the cemetery and it just sort of stops for a minute. Like everything slows down. And they're like, hey, head over to the cemetery. And they come over there. And they're just kind of sitting there. And like, all right, we're on a stakeout. And nothing happens. And then Barrow shows up. And like everything slows. And then it like picks right back up for the rest of the movie. It's really an interesting like cut in the movie where it gets like like that. Where he's with his like girlfriend. And they're trying to climb that wall together. And he can't pull her up. And she's like, leave me just run mark run he's like i'm not leaving you and tommy lee jones is like 50 feet 40 feet 30 feet and he's like oh fuck yeah i gotta leave you bitch like bye (laughs) yeah yeah um she's like he never forced me to do anything i went with him it's like shut up marie like what are you doing (laughs) he's he's a murderer like he he's already going to jail um that's another thing too is that he did kill those people, right? You find out that he actually did kill those people. And it's not like, um, okay, so they planted his fingerprints because he was wearing gloves, 
but it's not like yeah. he was framed and he didn't kill them. He's actually the one who killed him. Well, I think that's kind of a funny detail about it. Well, but the thing they spell out is like they said it was murder. It's like very clearly kind of self-defense because one, he was sent on this mission by Barrows and RDJ to die. So these guys are going to kill him. He kills them because he's better. So, I mean, it's like he shouldn't go to jail for it and he ends up not. And I mean, and when they watch the video, you know, the Tommy Lee Jones dumbs it down for the audience. He's like, that looks like self-defense to me. Like, hey, so yeah, you know what I mean? Because it's like he is killing them, but he, you know, shouldn't be criminally liable for it. Um, and we already talked about the Noah scene, so we'll skip past it. He then jumps on the train. Um, I think with, when they take Noah to the hospital, like he gets out. And like Noah's kind of still like you think, oh, maybe he has a chance. And then the ER guys are like, David, yeah, we get it. It's like, do you think we have a chance? No, we lost him. (laughs) That's how he let us know that he's not making it. Uh, And then uh, Gerard just isn't the same throughout the whole movie because of that. But he he's actually he's actually kind of gone back to his original route uh, roots where he's like more vivacious and trying to hunt him down. And Cosmo is the one who has to like bring him back ground, like ground him unsuccessfully mind you um well so i was talking with garrett earlier and he was like joey pants is so good in the fugitive and i was like i think he's better in u.s marshals because like throughout he's got this very funny comic relief like when he buys him the jumpsuit and all that but then he gets this scene in the end where he's like you're gonna go kill this guy that's not you like don't do this and he's like you always have to get your man He's like, I do. And he's like, because you're the best. He's like, I am. And like gets on the elevator. I love that fucking yeah. part. But yeah. what a, a, a nitpick with the end of this is that the way in which, so, you know, we talked about in The Fugitive, the way that they set up the chase to where they keep catching him and keep finding him is really well done. At the end of U.S. Marshals, he just parks his car next to the boat he's getting on to go to Canada. And it's just like... He makes it so obvious. You know what I mean? It's like park it somewhere else and take a cab, like walk, get in disguise. And then his car's there and they find a pill. And like the back of that thing has to say Dramamine or whatever it is. Right. But Gerard goes to the drugstore and is opening boxes until he finds the one with the red dot on it. He's like for seasickness. And it's like, we already knew my guy. What are you doing? And then he's like, let's check the boat that he parked next to. Yeah, uh, and then he just goes to the, like the cabin, like the head of the room board, and he's like, "Have you seen these guys?" He's like, "Yeah, room three C, right down there." It's like, oh, "God damn!" But I think like a really awesome detail about this is that when Snipes and Jones are fighting it out, and they land in this big, what is it? Sand, sand, right? Rice, sand, rice, rice sand. Something. There's this like thing where he's so angry, he's so consumed by hate, he literally suffocates Snipe. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I, I was like, I thought he was dead. And then obviously it's like this this twist of power where he like gets one over on him and then bum, well, bum, pulled, bum, bum, bum. The way he pulls the gun out of the sand is so cool. And then he hits Gerard and could kill him right then. And we get the instant of him lowering the gun and then RDJ shooting until his clip empties and like could have hit Sam, didn't care. Yeah. Um, 
And then the way Tommy Lee Jones looks at him, he knows he's like, oh, shit. Well, that's I think he doesn't know, but that's when he becomes suspicious. I think he knows, but he has to prove it, which is why he does what he does at the hospital. And we talked about the switching of the clips and stuff like that, but I love the little dialogue between Snipes and RDJ when he's like cutting him out of the stuff, pulling all the IVs out of him. And then he's like, um, if it's any consolation, I chose you because you're the best, but that, you know, that's a mistake I'm going to correct right now. Yeah. Like that, everything like that. And then, uh, turns around and well when gerard was confronting him i was like why doesn't gerard have his gun drawn that's so stupid and then the little dialogue he's like why did you shoot no he's like he walked in on me putting about to put two in the back of of his head like you are to me right now and then bam bam and it's it's empty and he goes yours is yours and mine well i guess you'll have to put on the cuffs right now as he twists he's like gerard and he shoots him i um I love, though, in the beginning of that, when he's like, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he was trying to escape. And he's like, oh, you better shoot him. And then after he pulls the gun on him, he's like, what are you going to, what's your story going to be? He was trying, I was trying to help him escape. So you had to shoot both of us. And he's like, I'll think of something and pulls the trigger. Yeah. Like that, that scene is like probably like one of the best in the movie. So, um, so I was curious because I wanted to look up RDJ's like falling out of Hollywood, coming back in with, with Iron Man and stuff like that. And I realized that it's like he was arrested for heroin possession in 96, but this came out in 98. So that didn't like career end him. Right. But then his, his big thing was 99. Yeah, but I did read that there were points in the movie where they had to wait several, like, maybe days to a week for him because of, like, his issues where he, like, had to come finish his scenes, so. I believe that, but you don't really see, like, in the late 90s, you don't see RDJ in many things, and that's why. Because from 99 to, like, 2003, he was in nothing because he was in jail. And, and, And rehab and parole, and you have to... Apparently, I didn't know this either. Hollywood has to pay... Like the producers have to pay a huge fee to to get a guy on parole in a movie, and they did they just didn't want to pay him. Well, I mean, he wasn't as big, which is also like why you know um, John Favreau had to fight to get him in Iron Man, and then you know just all the rest. But it's like it's cool to go back and watch all these, and like all the way from this up until like Zodiac, right? Because you realize like right, he's yes. legit. He's not just like Tony Stark. I mean, I'm just saying that like for you know other people who only see him that I always fucking knew, but he's he's legit fucking good. And he's like got this charisma about him. And um, he was nominated for Chaplin back in 92 before all this drug shit. Like he he was like on the rise. Uh, but then, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, overall, what do you think of uh, of U.S. Marshals and how it compares to The Fugitive? I think both movies are really strong. I think if U.S. Marshals is standalone, it would have probably done better. But I think because it had such a legacy to live up to, it falls short in that. And funny enough, I think Snipes and and RDJ are like the best things about Marshall, about U.S. Marshall. And then in Fugitive, don't get me wrong, Harrison Ford is great. But Tommy Lee Jones is the best thing about Fugitive. And so it, it it has this like living up to the thing and the plot being very similar. But I, I really enjoyed both. I really like both. I'm glad I, I finally watched <laughs> U.S. Marshals. But but more so than that, I'm glad that. There is a sequel 
to The Fugitive, which I really liked um, before we we did this podcast. So um, what about you now that you like watch the prequel to a movie you really liked as a kid? Does that put it in different perspective for you? No, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think The Fugitive is obviously better. Uh, and it's it's interesting, too, because there's been a lot of early 90s, late 80s movies that I've like, you know, that you hear about and you're like, oh, people love those. And then I see them and I was like, oh, man, I wish I'd seen it in the time. This part's hokey, this part, that, whatever. You know, I, I guess I get it. But in this one, I'm just like, no, it's a fucking banger. It holds up now. Like it even looked really good. Like all of it was just great. Um and I agree with you too that this is probably like the best Harrison Ford performance I've seen because a lot of other stuff too. He's like, he's just, it's almost like a Harrison Ford character. And this is like subtle, more reserved. Like yeah. he's, he's very good in this. So yeah, I mean, but still I haven't seen U.S. Marshals in over a decade at least. And I was still like, nah, this still, still slaps as the kids say. So I am glad we did this double feature. And I think because you you like uh, the fugitive, and I I really try to get you to watch Witness. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's also one of his best. So we'll do that. There's no sequel to Witness, thank God. But uh, we'll do that well, in since, the... you, since you like Snipes, we'll do Murder at 1600, like I want. So okay, and Tombstone. We talked about a lot of potentials today, didn't we? Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched U.S. Marshals. And I finally watched The Fugitive. <laughs>